you can't unlearn this. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, and so I yeah. feel like we'll never do calendars yeah. and routines again without talking about interaction. Yeah. And uh, we'll never talk about behavior mm -hmm. without talking about interaction. You can't talk about communication without talking about interaction. Yeah. It is that uh, central. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. I spend a lot of time studying and pondering the instructional and technical side of education and can easily forget about the foundational needs we all have as individuals. However, these basic human needs that result in positive relationships really are the basis for learning. Matt Schultz from TSBBI Outreach is going to enlighten us with the topic of interaction and how it relates to individuals who are deafblind and really to us all. All right, Matt, tell us about your background. How did you come to be on the Texas DeafBlind Project? So I started working at the School for the Blind about 18 years ago. Um, I started on the dorms as a residential instructor. Uh, and then I also worked as a teaching assistant. And that was before I became a classroom teacher for a number of years. Uh, and then I spent a few years as a behavior specialist. Hmm. Uh, and now just finishing up my fifth year here in outreach. So um, when I was preparing for this interview, I had just titled it Interaction, which is pretty broad. Um, but tell me how that term relates to educating students who are deafblind. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think there's a couple key points in, okay. in kind of understanding that. And the first one is that uh, we need to understand as educators that all human beings are social beings. Mm -hmm. That's the way our brains and our body are wired. It's how we've evolved uh, to learn. And, and all of our social interactions uh, happen in the context of relationships with people whose mm -hmm. company we enjoy. Um, and, and that's a foundational part of development. Right. Um, foundational, you could say required, mm -hmm. you know, that's how all of us learn and gain information about how the world works. Um, and the, the other thing to understand is that vision and hearing play really central roles in that type of early development. Mm -hmm. And so it's important for us to understand a little bit about the experiences our kids may have as a result of a lack of, of vision and a lack of hearing. And so just real quickly, I can point out that, uh, you know, vision impacts and drives early learning opportunities, early developmental milestones. Right. Things like the shared smiling that occurs between a baby and mm -hmm. its caregiver. Um, you know, the baby smiles, the caregiver smiles, and they have that moment. That's that bonding that, that when you have a child with vision happens instantaneously without planning, mm -hmm. without thinking about it, you know feeding routines when babies are six months old and, mm -hmm. and moms begin to feed them. There's kind of a dance that happens between the baby and the, and the caregiver or the mom. Right. And the baby's reading mom's body language and mom is reading the baby's. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a bonding process, whether it's with, with food or, or through breastfeeding, of course, is, it's mm -hmm. well known that that's bonding. Um, Babies use their vision to look at things of interest, you know, mm -hmm. they look up at the fan when somebody turns the fan on. Yeah. And we as parents are kind of wired to look at the fan with them yeah. and maybe even point to it mm -hmm. and say, that's a fan <laughs> and, and maybe gesture mm -hmm. just naturally. And so here they are with this experience 
where uh, they're directing our attention mm -hmm. with their vision, their gaze. We're following their lead. We're adding verbal language that they can hear if mm -hmm. the kid has hearing and some gestures, you know, and so they're having these experiences all day, every day. And right. again, without planning. Mm -hmm. um, so vision's really important. Selma Freiberg's research in the 60s mm -hmm. and 70s gave us a lot of insight into that. Hearing is also really important, uh, and it's well documented in the research on uh, deaf children and challenges they face in developing language and literacy. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of research that talks about how isolating it can be growing up mm -hmm. uh, in a hearing world when you're not hearing, when you're deaf. And so we, as practitioners working with deafblind kids, have to think about all that, right? Plus the combined impact. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, if you're deaf, you use your vision to compensate. You mm -hmm. know, lip reading. If you're blind, you use your hearing to pick up a lot of environmental information. Mm -hmm. Anybody that's worked with blind kids could tell you that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so when you can't compensate with that other sense, it puts the kid in a uh, kind of a neurological environment that might be isolating mm -hmm. and very, very stressful. Right. Um, and it impacts not only their communication mm -hmm. development, but it impacts their social and emotional development, their concept development, how they relate to the world. And so it... I think it just becomes really important for us to understand that mm -hmm. and how important that is, what a central piece that is to their learning, to all of our learning, but because they're, they're kind of at risk yeah. for doing those things easily that we as educators kind of have to take it on. And, and I think for years, our field has been really good at talking about programmatic things, right. calendars and routines, and, and these mm -hmm. things are central to their education and really important. Mm -hmm but not without the interaction piece, you know, mm -hmm. not without having nice back and forth interactions, not without the student being able to make initiations that we recognize and follow. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I think that that's a big umbrella for interaction, right? But, yeah. but I hope that the developmental aspects lead us to why it's so important for our kids who might be at risk. So thinking of that concept um, of interaction, it sounds like what you're saying is it's, it's a cr crucial component of working with the kids we serve because without understanding how to interact with these children that we really can't move to the other stuff, the programming things that have to do with calendars and routines unless we've established really relationships through some specific ways that we need to be um, attending and, and um, working with these kiddos. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. I mean, I think when we go in just with the programming piece before yeah. the interaction, we find ourselves in situations where we're trying to direct the student right. to do things that we as teachers feel are important. Right, for sure. And we might uh, find ourselves uh, having a hard time doing that and mm -hmm. the student not following the directive and mm -hmm. not understanding why and that that's frustrating for the student mm -hmm. and so the interaction piece allows us to take a step back and build that relationship built uh, based on who the student is mm -hmm. and, and also really understanding about how they perceive information in their environment and how they perceive information in conversations mm -hmm. where do they best see 
visual information if they're low vision or have some hearing. Right. What do they hear in their environment? And so those two pieces uh, uh, become really important for us as educators to, to hone in on mm -hmm. uh, so that we can have uh, more meaningful conversations and give them feedback in those conversations in a way mm -hmm. that they can perceive. Mm -hmm. I think when I started learning more about typical child development, mm -hmm. it's when I kind of took a step back and said, wait a second, how does this relate to, to my kids? Yeah. Uh, these kids with visual impairments, these kids with multiple impairments. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I got that information through uh, Lily Nielsen's mm -hmm. early writings. Uh, there's a book called Step by Step Learning that talks about typical milestones for, for hearing and seeing kids versus mm -hmm. for, for kids with visual impairments. And that was really great in understanding uh, some of these issues. Um, about that same time, our DeafBlind Project received uh, uh, some training from a woman named Bernadette Vandentillert, mm -hmm. who, uh, came to the U.S. years ago from the Netherlands and now works in Ohio mm -hmm. and has a, a training program, a two-year program called uh, her Interaction Program okay. that really kind of um, opened our eyes, mm -hmm. ours being the deafblind team here on Outreach, on uh, how uh, quality interactions or the fact that kids might not be having reciprocal quality interactions, how that could be impacting their development mm -hmm. uh, as communicators and as people. Um, and then later, uh, we were turned on to the work of uh, Harvard University's uh, uh, Center on Child Development mm -hmm. that talked a lot about neurological development. And I remember reading some of the stuff about how balanced what they call serve and return interactions. The yeah. child makes an initiation. We see it. Mm -hmm. We affirm it in a way that the child can understand mm -hmm. and then pause and wait for them to initiate again. Harvard calls that serve and return. Yeah. And that, that that is the mechanism for all neurological growth, but all growth, all learning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember reading that that, that is the building block for um, executive functioning ability mm -hmm. as a child develops over years. And so I was like, okay, what, what does that mean? Yeah. And so it said that executive functioning is the ability to uh, focus your attention, mm -hmm. to solve problems, to plan ahead, to adjust to new surroundings or circumstances, to regulate your emotions, and to control your impulses. Mm. And I remember pausing wow. and being like, these are issues that my, yeah. the kids I work with have. Mm -hmm. And so if they're saying, the root of that is in having reciprocal uh, balanced interactions mm -hmm. with children or in the childhood age can help that then then we need to learn more about that and we need to figure out ways to to uh, create those opportunities uh, in classrooms mm -hmm. sometimes people miss i think mm -hmm. what is a crucial element and that is that the serve is always in the child's yeah. uh, domain they serve, we return. Mm -hmm. uh, later, as the child grows and develops, the adult can do more serving. Uh, Bernadette calls that the exchange of leadership okay. in a conversation. Oh, yeah. You know, I like that. Uh, I'm going to follow your lead, and then now I'm going to ask that you follow my lead. Yeah. And too many times we start interactions asking the kid to follow our lead. Mm -hmm. And, it, it, and it, uh, we don't always experience success that way. I think it's just crucial to, to know our students better, to really understand how we can encourage that initiation on their part and 
you know, providing safe spaces where they feel like respected and valued and that they have something to contribute back, to, you know. Totally. I mean, it's all, all of these are building blocks to set up this yeah. culture where they can have a voice, whatever that looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it, it has such kind of um, innocent origins. You yeah. know, some, a kid's initiation who doesn't have a gaze, like, mm -hmm. like the babies we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. you know, a kid with no vision isn't going to use their head to, to point us in a direction of what they're thinking. Right. But they will use their hands. Yeah. And so yeah. if our parents can understand and our teachers mm -hmm. can understand that a child's curiosity can be conveyed in what their hands are doing, mm -hmm. and then we can affirm it we can tell right. them i know i see that you're interested in this object and i can join you in mm -hmm. touching it together that that is creating that serve and return interaction yeah. that is creating that healthy and happy development that leads to all those great executive functioning skills that leads to language and and maybe more important than all of that is what leads to bonding and happy relationships yeah. you know for the kid and for the parent and for mm -hmm. us as educators well, luckily, this is a training that we actually offer within, yeah. within TSBVI Outreach. Um, can you explain the components and the objectives when somebody requests this kind of training? Yeah, yeah. So we, we have some options uh, as far as the type of trainings. Mm -hmm. You know, we do a one-day workshop. Uh, we do a two-day workshop. I, I, I'm partial to the two-day workshop yeah. because it, it allows us on day one to really dive into this interaction piece that mm -hmm. talks about child development and what it could mean for our kids uh, and then kind of builds onto day two where we talk about uh, now that we understand this, how can we uh, bring this into our instructional programming? How mm -hmm. can we create uh, instructional routines that are designed to have reciprocal conversations, balanced conversations? How can we design a calendar routine that goes way beyond scheduling, you know, yeah. or us telling the kid what their day is going to consist of? Which, don't get me wrong, that's important right. for them to know. Right. But can we do that in a way that allows them to express curiosity and interest about mm -hmm. the topic and mm -hmm. we follow their lead within those structured conversations? So I think those, wow. I like that two day format. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we also have an option um, where teams can participate in a training that's based on Bernadette's program, the interaction mm -hmm. program that she okay. trained us to become coaches on. Mm -hmm. And so that, that happens uh, during five meetings spread out throughout a school year. Mm -hmm. And it involves the team sharing video footage of their interactions with their student. Mm -hmm. And then we gather to watch that footage together and talk about interaction strategies that, that might be helpful. And it's kind of based on the team's curiosity. You know, they might have questions about how they can help this kid become a better communicator. Mm -hmm. So we'll look at the video together and, and, and try to decide how is this student um, initiating topics of interest mm -hmm. uh, in ways that might be really subtle and hard to pick up on. Yeah. And what happens when we hone in on that and affirm it. And, uh, and so that's, that's something that we offer too. It's, it's more intensive mm -hmm. uh, and involves, uh, you know, usually the classroom teacher, if there's a paraprofessional or intervener, mm -hmm. a TVI, a teacher of the deaf ed. Uh, we've had administrators participate in that training as mm -hmm. well. And I think it's really good. We've also had parents and yeah. families be a yeah. part of it. Wow. I like the video component, looking at those videos. Um, you know, and this fall when I went to the Barbara Miles training that we had put on and 
we watched the same video, I think, I don't know how many times, five or six times, and every time you could pull different stuff from it. So I think it's so important, even as teachers, you know, as a teacher myself, I've videoed myself before with a student and then watched it back and thought, that's not at all like what yeah. I thought. It's amazing how much we can learn yeah. when we slow things down mm -hmm. and that it really gets to the value of that training because we see people's communication skills, adults' communication yeah. skills improve really fast. Oh, sure. You know, uh, yeah. and therefore, when, yeah. when we're more attentive or attuned partners, mm -hmm. we see the kids uh, improve. You know, they start to initiate more because they know we're catching mm -hmm. their thoughts, their initiations, and so they're naturally motivated yeah. to, to, oh, they're watching, they're, they're, I'm connected, so I'm gonna start communicating more. Yeah. Uh, and it, it wow. can kinda happen fast, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So it sounds like you've had some success stories, obviously, um, and maybe you can share some with us that talk about what happens for students when this theory is put into a positive practice. So the, a few kids come to mind, but the, we did a, a training a few years ago with families, uh -huh. and uh, uh, there was a, a little young boy, Cameron, uh, mm -hmm. and his family participated, and uh, along with his mother and father, where his older brother uh, was his older brother, Hollis. Mm -hmm. Hollis is like uh, 10 years older than Cameron, okay. and uh, there's four, maybe five kids in the family, mm -hmm. and so Hollis was telling me that you know he helps Cameron get ready in the morning. That's part of his his job in their family, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and he's he's a good big brother, and uh -huh. and so he helps him get dressed and with his grooming and, and breakfast and get yeah. his stuff together for school. That's part of Hollis's responsibilities as mm -hmm. a good big brother, and he's he's really good at it, and he really enjoys it. He and Cameron uh, have a great relationship. Yeah. During the training, uh, there was a an exercise that we wanted to do that uh, allowed the communication partners to uh, focus on imitating mm -hmm. the movements and actions of the, the children and just to see what would happen. Sure. And so we asked uh, Cameron and Hollis to sit down and uh, Cameron was playing with this toy. It was kind of like a Nerf octopus, if my memory serves <laughs> okay. me correct. Don't, don't quote me on that. Uh, and we had, Cameron had one, and so we gave Hollis one. Okay. And we said, Hollis, just do whatever Cameron does. Yeah. Um, and uh, Cameron had, has charge syndrome. He sees best through the lower field in his left eye. So mm -hmm. we asked uh, Hollis to uh, get really close to Cameron, touch him, mm -hmm. and then imitate him with the object in that visual field so okay. that Cameron's aware mm -hmm. that Hollis is imitating him. Mm -hmm. And so we rolled the footage and, uh, you know, Cameron puts the thing in the octopus nerf thing in his mm -hmm. mouth and Hollis puts it in his mouth. Yeah. Cameron turns it twice, Hollis turns it twice, yeah. and about halfway through that second turn, Cameron pauses and looks at Hollis like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like, it's, what, you know, yeah. you're watching me. <laughs> and so then he starts again and Hollis imitates him again. Mm -hmm. and, and so here we are in this serve and return, yeah. right? And this happens about three or four times, and then um, Cameron sets the toy or brings the toy down to mm -hmm. his midline, moves his head closer towards Hollis, and gives him this big shiny smile. <laughs> and Hollis returns the smile. Yeah. And so there, there's that shared smiling that's so right. important in development. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, you know, cut the the tape and, mm -hmm. and came back as a group to talk about it. And we asked Hollis what he thought, mm -hmm. and he he was emotional. Yeah. And he said. You know, I, I 
I direct my brother every mm -hmm. morning. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge of having him get dressed and stuff, but it's all me telling him what to do. Yeah. That's the first conversation I've ever had with my brother where I did, I followed his lead. Wow. And so uh, to wow. me, that's a success story. Yeah. Um, yeah, and his brother probably felt the same, you know, that it was the first time he had ever led a conversation. Yeah. Hence the giant smile. Hence the giant smile. Yeah. 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 Wow. And we hear that with teams that, you know, out of that smile mm -hmm. comes this realization that, that, that uh, someone's paying attention to me yeah. in a way that I perceive. People have always paid attention to Cameron. Right. Oh, Hollis for sure. has always paid attention to Cameron. For sure. But in a way that Cameron can perceive. Yeah changes the way he thinks about himself and makes him realize, oh, if they're watching, mm -hmm. my initiations, these movements have, have greater meaning than maybe I thought. Mm -hmm. And so slowly those initiations can become more and more formalized mm -hmm. into, into, in Cameron's case, he's, he uses sign language as well. Mm -hmm. And so he just has a trust yeah. that if he uses a sign, someone's gonna catch it yeah. and say, I'm interested in what you just said. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, that's not deafblind specific. Right. Right. That's yeah. human yeah. specific. Yeah. Uh, we like talking to people that listen to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it makes me think of, you know, when when uh, we I've started talking with the deafblind team about this in the fall and that whole idea of um, being paid attention to in a way that you can perceive it and you know in my in my own life of course i'm the parent of a child who's blind with multiple disabilities and uh, it changed just where i sit on the couch thinking about that because he used to sit you know a couple of couch cushions away from me and now just like i get right up in his grill i sit next to him you know and so that our shoulders are touching and that might not be anything really crucial, except it says, hey, mom's right here. He reaches over and checks in on me sometimes. And then I can say, oh, hi, Eddie, you know, mm -hmm. or and you have that shared attention on either me or him or mm -hmm. whatever he's playing with. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's a very little change that I made to our the way that we interact that mm -hmm. anybody could do. But I think about kids in classrooms who spend a, a lot of time without direct contact just because of the nature of the way schools are set up and the amount of the adult-student ratio and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, how little things like proximity and being tactually proximal could make such a big difference for these kids. Totally. It's pretty big. And I think we're just beginning to understand about all yeah. the information that our kids can receive from us through their sense of touch. Yeah. And like you said, our kids can feel isolated. Mm -hmm. And so even though just being in physical contact isn't necessarily giving them like, you know, a formal language model. Right. It is giving them access to our emotions. Right. You know, their brain yeah. is, are picking up on how we feel through our contact together. Mm -hmm. And so that, that information alone is helping them feel connected to yeah. us. And in ways that I don't think we fully understand. But. You know, we talked about our kids feeling isolated at times. Um, what signs would you see in our students if they were needing more of this um, type of approach? I mean, I think they all need it, mm -hmm. obviously. We all mm -hmm. need it. Mm -hmm. um, but how would you notice if they were maybe in distress? There, you said it. Yeah. I think children that feel isolated from communication partners, um, from people and from things and events in their environment mm -hmm. uh, it, uh, will feel a sense of emotional distress and will communicate that sense of distress often in uh, ways that we 
as educators mm-hmm. um, perceive as, as behavior yeah. or as uh, uh, misbehavior mm-hmm. or non-compliance. Right. And so uh, that is another reason why interaction is so important because um, anybody that works with our kids knows that, that behavior is, is a, a, an area that, that we as teams struggle with, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's some really tried and true methods out there that are really good, you know, a functional behavior analysis can provide us with great information about the functions of behavior and learning about what's going on in the mm-hmm. environment and how we can, we can make changes to prevent behavior from happening and to help kids de-escalate. Those are really good things. Yeah. But the interaction model and, and understanding the role that, that interaction plays in development and learning. When I say development, a big part of that is social and emotional development. Mm-hmm. And so that is the ability for children to regulate their emotions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if we see kids that are uh, exhibiting quote-unquote behaviors, but instead think about it as distress, they're telling us that they're not, they're not regulated. Mm-hmm. And a way to regulate or help them feel regulated is to be better communication partners and to make sure they're aware that we are aware of them mm-hmm. and we are following their lead. We can't do that all day, every day right. in a school environment. And as parents, we can't do yeah. that all day yeah. in the home. But I have seen when people make the shift to follow the student's lead in a way that they are able to understand and to have those back and forth interactions, that behavior dissipates. Mm -hmm. And that the student's ability over time, sometimes long time, when a kid is kind of saturated in an environment where they feel like they are a communicator, we see these internal processes of executive function really kick in. Mm -hmm. We see kids able to control their impulses more Mm -hmm. and to regulate their emotions and to learn coping skills Mm -hmm. and strategies, to learn to take deep breaths when they're feeling frustrated, Mm -hmm. or to learn to, instead of throwing something or pushing something off the table, to to walk over to their calendar system and look for a symbol to to better communicate that need. Mm -hmm. We see those skills develop as a result of of, positive and and balanced interactions. Mm -hmm. When we shift from behavior to distress, Mm -hmm. we can start to understand how the function of behavior might be related to a lack of feeling Mm -hmm. connected, Mm -hmm. a lack of feeling like I am a person with agency. And so then our approach as parents and as educators can shift, Mm -hmm. you know, and really think about how do we foster, because I don't think agency is taught. Nobody becomes a stronger agent because someone tells them to. Right. (laughs) Right. Maybe it'd be nice if it worked that way, but uh, (laughs) agency is fostered Mm -hmm. in an environment around a, a positive relationship with, with people that like our kids mm-hmm. and having interactions that go back and forth are balanced yeah. and, and both parties, both communication partners enjoy. Yeah. It, it sounds simple, mm-hmm. but if we understand again how that mechanism it works in the brain, yeah. um, we understand that all neurological growth starts there. And mm-hmm. so it is simple, it's also foundational and kind of uh, can't be skipped. Yeah, yeah. So I know you're working right now with some other members of the outreach team on uh, possible trainings pertaining to behavior and or distress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is there anything that you can share about that yet? Or, I mean, I know nothing's out yet, but yeah. are there some ideas in the works you can talk about? Totally. 
I think we recognize that this is a topic that schools are interested in getting uh -huh. more information about. I, yeah. I know it's a topic that that uh, our families bring up regularly, mm -hmm. wanting to get some more information about. Yeah. The uh, you know we live in a, a connected world and with mm -hmm. a world wide web, and there's a <laughs> lot of information. Yeah. Um, but there's not necessarily a lot of information specific to kids with visual impairments and right. kids with, with deaf blindness. And so we've talked a lot about that today mm -hmm. and the impact that, that those things have on development. And so I, folks in outreach are really anxious to uh, provide uh, information in that context mm -hmm. to teams, uh, educational teams and parents. There's a group of us working on a, a product mm -hmm. that we'll, we hope to, it, it to be a planning tool mm. to help teams um, make a, a positive behavior intervention plan mm -hmm. around fostering the student's ability to feel connected, independent, and successful yeah. throughout their day. Again, knowing that that's gonna, that development is gonna decrease behaviors. Right. Um, and so uh, those products are on the horizon. Cool, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I know, we need more of this stuff, we, we totally yeah. do. Mm -hmm. Uh, what resources would you recommend for those looking to learn more about interaction theory and practice? Like, who are your gurus? Yeah, well, I mentioned Bernadette. Yeah. Uh, you know, she really uh, turned the deafblind team on to this mm -hmm. this thinking, and she's done a lot of work. Uh, she published an article a number of years ago in a publication called uh, DBI Review. Okay. That means Deafblind International Review. Mm -hmm. uh, the article appeared in issue 25. It's called Encouraging Reciprocity in Interaction Between Deafblind People and Their Partners. Mm. So that's a really great uh, article to read. Mm -hmm. uh, DBI, interestingly enough, has published a lot of research on this topic that's happening, wow. much of it in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. um, and so you could search their articles and, and just look at their, their publications. Yeah. It's a great publication. Um, there was a, an incredible book that was published a number of years ago called Remarkable Conversations. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, by Barbara Miles uh -huh. and Marianne Riggio. It, it's available through the Perkins School for the, Through the Blind. Mm -hmm. um, it, it has great information about everything that we just talked about. Okay. You know, Barbara has been thinking about this stuff for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love the way the book is written. It's really accessible to, uh, to us as educators, and I know families really like the book as well. It's a great one. Um, the full title is Remarkable Conversations, A Guide to Developing Meaningful Communication with Children and Young Adults Who Are Deafblind. Nice. Um, there is an, another great book called Communication and Congenital Deafblindness. Um, this was uh, published in the Netherlands by uh, Inger Roadbro. <laughs> I'm going to have to Inger hey, if you I ever hear know. this. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, and, and Marlene Janssen. Okay. Uh, it's a, it's a four-part series. It's mm -hmm. really, really great. Uh, and Perkins has made that available through their online store. I oh, think it, it connects nice. to Amazon. Oh, nice. Um, but for anybody working with a kid with congenital deaf blindness, mm -hmm. I, I think that four-part book is, is really, really great. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned the Harvard Center on the Developing Child. Yeah. Uh, their website is just chock full of great information about child development mm -hmm. and neurological development and how it all happens in the context of relationships. Yeah. Um, the, the, those are, are wonderful ones for people that are interested to get started. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. 
Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Interaction is a topic that is critical to all those who have relationships with our students. To emphasize and highlight the family component, we have Egeny Bella, TSBVI Family Engagement Specialist on our DeafBlind team. When we think about family engagement for families who have children and adults with vision loss, perhaps deaf blindness, there is strong scientific evidence that point us to the need to focus on interactions. As Matt shared, our bodies and our brains are designed to develop within the context of social interactions and relationships. We've also received confirmation from families who share that the most valuable training they've received is the power of touch. This is a training we've been providing that is based on the work of Barbara Miles and Bernadette Vandentillert. The weekend-long training equips and empowers parents to focus on using touch as a way to have child-led connections with their child. As we learn more about the importance of interactions, we are reminded that it all begins and remains at its heart at home, within a family where connection and bonding forms the secure foundation for everything for the young person sense of identity, agency, learning, resilience. While families need a tool chest full of skills such as knowing about resources and services, how to navigate the medical system, how to be partners in their child's education, etc., their ability to connect and interact with their loved one with sensory loss is ultimately the one gift that is uniquely theirs to give to the child and to themselves. So, how do families have a serve and return interactions? As Matt described, the reciprocal interactions that are focused on the child's topics. For parents, it's by doing what parents do, creating moments in their day where they are able to be fully present and are able to be connected with their child. It is feeling confident in their ability to be good observers, good commenters, good waiters in a way that works for their children. In addition, parents also foster and encourage others to have their own ways of connecting with the child. This includes brothers and sisters, extended family, friends, community members, and professionals. Within the family life, there are some great ways families can have these interactions. One is remembering that it is unrealistic and impossible for anyone to have the sort of interactions Matt described happening constantly throughout the day. Rather, focusing on moments is a fabulous way to take the pressure off while making the short interaction a time to give focused attention, have emotional connection, and of course, make it enjoyable. Experts in child development say there are two to three most critical times for parents to connect with their child during a day. The first one is when the child wakes up. If the child goes to school, the second one is when the child comes home from school. And the third one is bedtime. Some days, that's a tall order. If that doesn't happen, that's sometimes the way the family life rolls out. Another way is by using I love you rituals. Dr. Becky Bailey describes these as playful means to promote optimal brain development. Connecting activities using all of the senses, touch, vision, hearing, etc., where each person feels connected and has a part. Sound familiar? Within families, these I Love You rituals are also part of the fabric of their identity, tradition, and memories. Again, thank moments and I Love You rituals. 
How do families learn to be confident interaction partners with their family member who is blind, visually impaired, deafblind? They may need some encouragement and guidance to feel confident in how they are compensating for their child's vision and hearing loss. Being able to receive that support from someone within their family is incredible. It can also come from connecting with other parents who have a child with vision loss, perhaps deafblindness. It might be an early childhood provider, and as the child grows, educator, giving encouragement, coaching, and tips. It might be going through formal training. TSBVI Outreach can play a role in providing interaction, training, and support for families. This can be part of the family visit time of our individual consultations. We also offer a variety of training. We try to weave interaction into all of our family-focused trainings, which include iPlay, a training for families who have children birth to five, our family engagement series, and the power of touch training I described earlier. We also offer training for professionals who partner with families, including ECI providers, blind children specialists, and teachers of students with deafblindness. We can't learn enough about student-initiated interaction and engagement and how parents and educators can encourage and support our children. Thanks to Matt and Egeny for sharing how to be better communication partners for all students and the importance of following their lead. To learn more about trainings in Texas, please go to tsbvi.edu and request our services. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.